to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Masonian Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. I am glad that everyone has joined me today for our podcast, and we think it's important for us to be here with stories of hope for our listeners. So thanks for joining me as we hear stories of female food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Massoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center in Portland, Oregon. I'm just going to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Market of Choice for supporting our podcast, Masonian Marshall, and thank you for helping spreading the word about women food entrepreneurs. Marketed Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local food entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local makers, Farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you so much, Market of Choice. We really do love you. Okay, so now I'm supposed to talk about food news, but it's just so hot. I'm going to talk about some food that I'm thinking about preparing in my home kitchen that might help keep me cool. I was thinking about a nice, crunchy, cold Caesar salad with some freshly grated Parmesan and some crunchy croutons with a few pieces of smoked salmon on top. I also was thinking about a salad niçoise with some oil-packed Oregon albacore tuna, some crunchy local green beans and a few fingerling potatoes, some thinly sliced red onion, and maybe a green goddess salad dressing. Or what about a bowl with some cooked and chilled brown rice, garbanzo beans, some zoodles made from carrot, zucchini, and beets with a light lemon vinaigrette. And for dessert, I was thinking about ice-cold watermelon with strawberries and mint leaf and a nice lime dressing. I'm sure you have your hot weather favorites. I'd love to hear about them and I'm sure Sarah Marshall would too. Why don't you send us a DM on Instagram and maybe Sarah Marshall and I can spend some time in the kitchen again and try to make some of your favorite foods. If any of you food friends out there have an announcement, please contact us through the website or submit a message on startupradionetwork.com. You can also message us on Instagram at Masonian Marshall. And we'd love to help spread the news about any of your food news. I am not alone today. I am joined with two special guests. I have Carolyn and Julie of Ground Up PDX. And that's great because they've actually been with us before. I'm not sure which show they were on, but maybe they'll tell us. 
I'm so glad you both joined me today. And I want to help connect our listeners to your company via social media and your website. Can we start with you telling us what your links are for Instagram, Facebook, and your website? Of course. Thanks, Sarah. We're so excited to be here. Um, so like you mentioned, our, our company is Ground Up PDX. So all of our all of our handles are, are basically that, but our website is grounduppdx.com. And our Instagram is at groundup.pdx. That's also our Facebook and Twitter as well. Cool. And to chime in, we were episode number 19, which is pretty amazing now out of over 500 episodes, Sarah. Oh, it's not 500, but it's definitely like 155, maybe. Wow. So in that first first round, so providing the world much more than good foods was the title of episode number 19. Okay, so people can go back and listen to that and see how you've changed over time. It'll be a great study for them. So can you tell us what is the best way for people to buy your products and how they can do that? Or is it direct sales um, through retailers or online? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so you can purchase our products on our website at groundofpdx.com. Um, if you do that, you can also shop our seasonal flavors. We always have a, a new monthly flavor and they're only available on our website. So that's fun. Um, but you can also find our products if you're in the Northwest at Whole Foods, New Seasons, Fred Meyer. Julie, help me out here. Um, <laughs> Fred Meyer. Do you have a list on your website where people can there find you? Do. Yeah. Newest is Target, which is very what? exciting. Target. Uh, uh, which we can chat about, but we actually have a different size offering there and our squeeze packs and our most popular cinnamon snickerdoodle flavor. So we can absolutely as well in the episode uh, link our store locator p- page, but it's always and counting. I feel like we've got new stores every week, every month, jumping on board, small stores up to stores like Target that just launched in June. Target's amazing. How many of the Target stores are you in? So we're in about 330. So mostly Oregon, Washington, and California stores. A majority are in California. That's amazing. Good job, ladies. Thanks. And I do think back like episode 19, like it was over Gosh, I feel like it was three or four years ago. Yeah. So much has changed for us. Yeah. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So explain to us a little bit more about the name of your company and what your mission is and your story so that people understand what it is that you do with your nut butters. Yeah. So we have a job training program. So our business is really unique in that we are a for-profit business, but it's not just for profit. So we have um, a mission. We call ourselves like an employment social enterprise. So it's a business that provides job opportunities to individuals with barriers to enter or re-enter the workforce. So a majority of our workforce is women overcoming adversity. So they may be coming from backgrounds um, of incarceration, domestic violence, drug and alcohol, Um, addiction. It's a whole range um, of individuals and we get referrals from nonprofit partners and case managers in the city of Portland. So women join our program. We don't run background checks. And that's something that's huge for us is providing that second chance. And really when someone walks in the door, 
We're saying, yes, if you're motivated to work, we believe in you and we want to give you an opportunity to gain confidence, job skills, and to have a reference to go on to whatever goals you may have. So I read on your website that you have a six to nine month employment training program. Can people work for you longer than six to nine months? Yeah, so we definitely have some positions. Um, You know, we're a smaller company, so we wish we had more full-time job opportunities, but our training program is part-time. So a lot of women, as they're graduating, they may be ready now to step into a full-time job opportunity. So we definitely have a couple graduates out of our 23 to 24 employees that we have that have stayed on at Ground Up and now get to be mentors in our job training program. We also have some lead positions. So those are individuals that have graduated from our training program and may want to gain some additional leadership skills still working at ground up, and then they may be ready to move on afterward. But a lot of our graduates, they don't necessarily want to stay in production and manufacturing. So they learn a lot of that confidence um, and some of the other training and coaching that we offer to go on and work with some of our partners in the community. So we have people who go on in the hospitality industry, some in the um, manufacturing or more on the grocery side. So a store like New Seasons or Whole Foods on the kind of more clerk front end side. We have women who go on to want to work at a nonprofit and give back in Mm. the way that they have been given back. And that's like a really beautiful opportunity when that happens. And then we have Mm. other women who go on to go back to school and get their GED or go into like a construction apprenticeship program. So there's really a lot of different avenues and it depends with, with what someone's goals is and we meet each person where they're at. Can you kind of unpack how you made relationships with other um, service providers in our fair city? Um, How did you connect with people that had relationships with these women that needed to find a training location? How did you do that? Yeah, so there's a lot of amazing nonprofits in Portland and in other cities. So a lot of it in the beginning was just reaching out, whether I just stopped by an office um, at one of the a nonprofit in the city. So we work with Portland Rescue Mission, Central City Concern, Outside In. Now it's up to like 30 or 40 different organizations. But it started with just a few that we worked with really closely and partnered with case managers and advocates who are working directly with women and can help determine when they're ready to kind of take that step into the workforce. Because we found there's really that fine line of when someone can be successful in our program and when someone's ready to take on a job opportunity and take that next stepping stone in their life. And today, now seven plus years into business, it's a lot of referrals now within the community. So someone tells someone else about Ground Up or even our graduates who share about their experience. And so that's just built our network. Yeah. So I'm sure some of the challenges when you were first starting were that you thought you could do more than you actually could. And so you had to start relying on those other social services uh, providers to be able to sort of pre-screen and make sure that people really are ready to work because we know that life can get kind of messy, right? Absolutely. And and we want to make sure when people are ready to work that they have all the support services in place to be able to to have the time to go out and work on their job skills. So, t- 
tell us a little bit more about your crew that you have with you right now. Yeah. So kind of like our whole team, I'll let Kara take yeah. it away. The grab squad. Yeah. I feel like you should, Julie, just because you're okay. close to the team. Yeah. Cool. So cool. Julie, so, Julie handles most of our employment training program. I okay. handle all our, all our nut butter making. I'm the responsible for the product side. So I know our team, but Julie works more with them on a daily basis. So. Okay, yeah, so totally. So we typically have at a time, um, like eight to 10 women who are part of our job training program. So that's a lot on our nut butter manufacturing side, as well as some um, with our warehouse operations. So we have now as we're growing, we have about 22 to 24 employees at a time. So we have an operations director who really oversees our entire operation. And we do our own manufacturing in-house, which we know can be more rare for some food businesses, as well as all of our own fulfillment. So we ship all of our online orders from our own warehouse. So we have uh, two assistant operations managers. So one who's kind of more on the operate or warehouse side and one that's more on the production side. And then Carolyn and I are mostly sales and marketing. And we do have a sales manager and then also a marketing associate as well. So we kind of try to stick now in our wheelhouse and hire people to surround us on the operation side of the business. So Carolyn, since you're in operations, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the flavors that you produce in your um, production facility. Yeah. So all of our products are peanut free. That's like a core piece of what we do. So a lot of them are almond and cashew based. And then we also keep them free of uh, gluten, dairy, soy, refined sugars, um, really just trying to show folks that, yeah, nut butters can be a healthy and delicious treat. So like I said, they're mostly blends of different nuts and we sweeten it with either a little bit of honey or date syrup or they're unsweetened. Um, and we have like a core flavor lineup that I would say is kind of like our healthier, more classic products. Our most popular flavor by far is our cinnamon snickerdoodle, which could be because we named it after a cookie, but it's also delicious. Yeah. Um, And so that one's super popular. Um, And then, like I mentioned before, we do a rotating seasonal flavor. So Mm. that's been a fun way to collaborate with other folks. Like we typically do it highlighting a brand's products or doing it with an influencer as a way of kind of getting some marketing exposure, but also coming up with fun flavors. Our our flavor right now is a funfetti chip, which is... I saw that. And also I was wondering, so let me guess your fall flavor. Could it be pumpkin spice? <laughs> I, I can't quite reveal anything yet, but we, oh. we have pumpkin spice flavor before. Okay. Um, it's not quite that, but it's definitely a fall themed one that folks oh, will be excited about. Great. Yeah. So you said that you're manufacturing all of your products. Is there a time or a challenge that you'd like to tell our listeners about um, in manufacturing that was a big learning moment? I think they're all learning moments. It's hard to pinpoint just one. Um, I think in general, like with our business, I mean, in the beginning, people thought we were crazy. I think we were a little crazy <laughs> to think that we could have both the training program and a manufacturing company. And we've constantly felt the push pull of those two things and how to like grow and evolve both of them in a way that um, makes sense for both the business and for the impact side of things. Um, So we joke that we kind of started two businesses in one, (laughs) Um, but it's also been, I think there's moments where it would be so much easier if we had a co-packer, but it's also 
those moments that keep us going. Like when challenges do come up, we know that like we're employing women every single time that a challenge comes up, we want to solve it because it means more hours for folks on our team. Um, for instance, and Julia may cringe when I bring it up, but the squeeze pack machine, which oh. she spent many hours working on has been really like the bane of our team's existence over the last couple of years. Um, that is a very people love those squeeze packs. People though. Love the squeeze packs. And I love the squeeze packs. Yeah. And especially with our, our product being a higher priced nut butter, we really wanted the squeeze packs as a way of sampling them like at events or markets so that folks can get it, get a taste and understand like what our product's about before purchasing a full jar. So squeeze packs felt really important to us. And of course, we wanted to do it in-house. Um, and yeah, so, I think you're yeah, smart to do it in-house, actually, even though it's a pain in your neck, because it's hard to find people that'll co-pack with the squeeze pack. Exactly. And people that like fit our dietary restrictions in terms of finding facilities that are also peanut-free, dairy-free, gluten-free um, is hard for us. And so we purchased this machine and really have spent, our team has spent countless hours troubleshooting and I'm proud to say like they've got it down at this point, which is amazing. It is a very temperamental machine. So like if one small thing is, is, isn't adjusted quite right, the machine won't work. And yeah, um, so that's just everything been, has to line up. Doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. Um, so that's been definitely a challenge, but also one that we persevered through. So when you bought that machine, how did you decide where to get the machine and how did you create a spec? Did you work with an engineer? Did you buy it online? How did you do that? Yeah, so we purchased it online. Um, so we found that most of the machines that we've found for sale with like U.S. suppliers are mostly made in China. Um, so we've actually, for this specific machine, we went directly to China and found a supplier that we ordered from there. And we actually had great communication and contact with him when we were really at a low of whether or not we could get the machine to work. He said we could fly him out here to help us. So we use Google Translation to be able to communicate together. So that definitely made it more challenging for sure to not have a local mechanic that fully understood our machine. But at the same time, as a small business, the cost that we were able to save when most of these types of machines are made in China anyways, was worth the risk to us. So we're happy that it has worked out in our favor, despite many tireless nights and mornings working on it. Now your packaging is all printed. Do you have that printed in China too, or somewhere here locally? Do those little packages get printed? Yeah, I'm trying to think of, we, tr we definitely, we source our packaging locally. Oh, good. I think of how local the squeeze pack packaging. Somebody is. here locally it, helps you get the yeah, packaging. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I would say machinery is the only thing that we've ever outsourced and we'd like to keep it that way. One of the things I really like about your packaging is it's really whimsical and we're just going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk about your packaging a little bit more. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we're back from break. Can you tell me a little bit about your design of your package and how you named your product? 
How did you come up with your brand name? Oh, gosh, I have to say, we can't even take credit for our brand name, right? Julie, it was one of your friends. You know, we um, really were struggling to come up with a name. It's the most important thing that you're going to, the most the most important decision you make, it feels like in the beginning. Um, and I think we really wanted something that represented both the product and the mission. And yeah, I can't even remember what our earlier names were, but Julie's friends started brainstorming. And as soon as Ground Up was put out there, we were like, we love that. But also, surely it's taken. Like, <laughs> we were shocked to learn that we actually we do have the trademark on Ground Up now after a couple years of fighting for it. Um, and so it feels like it represents like the double entendre of both, um, you know, lifting women up from the ground up and also, of course, grinding up nut butter. So once we had the brand name, we really went into packaging design. And I have to say, our labels have not changed much. I like the way that you have sort of a handwritten um, product name on each package. And I was wondering who's, because everyone has a little bit different handwriting. Are those the handwriting of people that work in your production facility or maybe the person who came up with the flavor? I was just curious about that. Can you tell us, Julie? Yeah. So it's actually Carolyn's lovely handwriting. So it oh. has been from day one. She, Carolyn is the creator of so many, I mean, really all of our flavors, even if they're inspired by an influencer or something else, Carolyn is always the one um, who creates the magic. I was just curious, Carolyn, can you tell us how you come up with the flavors of your delicious nut butters? Of course. Um there are hours of taste testing and tinkering in the kitchen, but I'm trying to think the initial ideas, the early days were all ideas that I thought were fun and unique. And, you know, someone, a lot of times, sometimes like on the, someone on the team will share, don't mind my cat. I apologize. Um, sometimes someone on the team will come up with an idea. Actually, often folks are telling me ideas. And so then I'll kind of go into the kitchen and be like, hmm, how can I bring this to life? So it's really fun when other folks infuse ideas into it. And part of that, like I mentioned before, is our influencer and brand collaborations. And so, you know, we definitely partner a lot with influencers, which again, helps me out because sometimes I can't, you know, it's hard to kind of constantly be ideating on new ideas. And so yeah, folks come to me and say like, oh, I have a, a vision for a funfetti flavor, like the one we have right now. That's super fun. Cause then I can kind of get creative and bring that to life. And yeah. And I said, you, you have some like little multi-pack gift packs, and mm -hmm. I saw that you have a collaborative with Kelly's Jelly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love them. They're damn so good. Can you um, tell us about that? That looks fun. Yeah, Julie, actually, probably. I think you created that. Didn't you? Yeah, I think I did sometime back. We always love to have little gift packs. And of course, we're always trying to find opportunities to feature other local Portland companies. So yeah, it's our... They're like Oregon, Marionberry, I think, with our Oregon hazelnut with one of our little wooden spread good spoons. And then we've also done for grocery um, a little like three pack with a small jelly and then two of our nut butters. That's cool. I was at Wanda's Cafe down in, I think it's in the Halem. Mm -hmm. Do you have your nut butter in there? Because Kelly's Jelly Marionberry is there. And I when I saw that gift pack, on your website, I was like, oh, this would be perfect for their shop. Have you been there? Yeah, we have a lot of um, like smaller boutique stores that order through fair. 
Oh. Um, I'll have to check. Do you know what fair is like a wholesale boutique? Mm-hmm. Um, Can you tell the listeners what fair is and how you use that for your business? Yeah, fair is amazing. It is a platform and kind of portal for boutique stores across the country to have a space to discover new, smaller, small batch brands from across the country to carry in their stores. So we have found that to be really awesome. And they have like a great portal that makes it really simple for fulfillment and tracking. And you also get new customers just through being on there, even if it's not someone that you sent to order on fair. So I highly recommend it. And yeah, I'll check if Wanda's on there. It's a great, easy way to, even if a friend or customer is like, you should be in this boutique store. It's really easy to just send them the link to fair. And there's a lot of benefit for boutique stores when they first set up on fair to get discounts and free shipping and other things. So The other thing I noticed is that you actually sell buckets of nut butters. Now, tell me about who buys the buckets of nut butters. Are those heavy users or are those like restaurants or who wants a bucket of nut butters? But, you know, I would say mostly heavy users. I think (laughs) a traditional cafe might might stock up on bulk tubs for like their smoothie menu or toast menu or something. But honestly, it's mostly customers. We definitely we just had so many folks reaching out saying like i'm going through a jar a week or sometimes two or three jars a week and so we realized we have a demand for bulk tubs and honestly like we can't keep them in stock every time we put them online they sell out <laughs> it's pretty wow remarkable. and this the snickerdoodle flavor that one has cinnamon and what are some of the other characteristics of that because you both mentioned that was your top seller yeah it's a I mean, it's an almond, cashew, and coconut-based nut butter, and it has cinnamon, honey, and vanilla bean. So mm-hmm. it, it really does feel reminiscent of like a snickerdoodle cookie, but it is much healthier. So we like pairing that with apples. It kind of tastes like apple pie. Um, really putting it on anything, just, yeah, it's quite delicious. And it has less than a tablespoon of honey per jar. So folks are always excited to learn that it tastes really sweet and rich, but is, in fact, not that sugary sweet. So I saw on your website, you also have some recipes. Do you both do recipe development and tell us about some of your best recipes that you've created? Yeah, we actually wrote a cookbook um, in 2019. It's called Nut Butter. (laughs) Pretty straightforward. Um, But that was a true labor of love between Julie and I. I think it's over 50 recipes with nut butter. And then it's also a bunch that teaches you like really the process of nut butter making in your home kitchen. And actually it has the recipe for our snicker, our snickerdoodle in there, which we were a little hesitant to give up, but um, oh, people sounds want good to you and you want to make it at home, check out our cookbook. But Can they um, buy that online too from you? Yep. It's on our website. Um, it's on Amazon too. So uh, cool. but yeah, we do a lot of recipe development. I think, I mean, especially early on folks were like, this is delicious, but I have no idea what to use it with or how do, how do I enjoy this? What do you recommend? And so it's been a priority of ours to always have new recipes. So we we incorporate nut butters into baked goods. Like for instance, Julie and I both are uh, dairy intolerant. And so using nut butter instead of butter in recipes is a really healthy, easy way to kind of create delicious baked goods, but without dairy. So sometimes we'll do that. We also have recipes for smoothies, oat bowls, parfaits, like lots of breakfast, breakfast and snack recipes, bliss can balls. I'm trying to think of what else are most Can popular. people make um, milk from your, from your 
Yeah, we've done that before. That's like, I think that's very trendy right now from what I'm seeing um, on TikTok and everything. But yeah, you can basically blend like two tablespoons of of our nut butter with a cup of water and you have nut milk. So that's fun. That's great. Mm-hmm. Have you made ice cream with it too? Oh, Julie, you should answer this one. Oh, I love making like banana ice cream. It's so good with frozen bananas, blended up with nut butter and you're like, Nut milk of choice. It's so amazing. That sounds really good. So you had mentioned that you do all your own distribution. Can you tell us a little bit about, so you're a self-distribution. So how are you doing that to Target? Are you sending it oh, to you? Or sorry, you there may, yeah, sorry. There may have been a misunderstanding. We do all of our own like online fulfillment. So we oh, 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 okay, like okay. any like third party, um, we do all of that in house, but we work with DPI and UNFI. So UNFI was kind of the necessary evil that we finally um, decided to get on board with when we expanded with Whole Foods. But with Target, we actually distribute directly through them at this point with the regional distribution. So you can just arrange for a truck to come and pick up the product and take it over to their distribution center? Exactly. That's great. And it actually goes to to hear that. Yeah, they have many distribution centers. So based on the region or where the store is, it goes to different DCs, distribution centers. Yeah. What do you think is the hardest thing about distribution? The most challenging is chargebacks. Mm. So they're very costly to work. There's no way around them. Um, But we do get a lot of chargebacks. Some are from the store, but there are definitely chargebacks from distributors as well. In addition to some of the requirements, specifically like a UNFI, as you grow with them, they require you to do offer them promotions that don't even get passed on to the store. Mm -hmm. So there's just some costly or buying into their marketing ads or going to their shows. Again, sometimes that can result in growth, but those are pretty costly opportunities. So I think our biggest challenge has been how to maintain your margin when you take into account a lot of these kind of unknown monthly charges that come through. I mean, I've heard that that's really can really hurt a small business when you have a big like a 98% charge back against one of your big invoices you're expecting to get paid on. And I'm not in favor of that behavior from our distribution community. Shame on you, distributors. You should figure out how to not do that. Truly. Um, and you can fight the chargebacks, but they've already taken it out of the invoice. So it's like, it's like what it's the a part-time heck? job to keep on top. I of, know. I was like going to ask you, do you have like an accounting person or like a collecting person or somebody that handles all that for you? Or are you two handling that yourself still? We have an accounting team, but I would say it's a combination of our sales manager and myself that tends to handle a lot of the detailed follow-up with distributors. Julie probably too sometimes. Yeah, that's a a tough thing. Yeah, sadly, most of the time you don't get refunded, even if their charges are pretty absurd often (laughs) of why you're getting charged. That's so sad and tough. Okay, so do you use any brokers then? Or you just go direct to distributor? Yeah, we up to this point do not use any brokers. So that's something, you know, that we've considered with grocery and have heard pros and cons talking to businesses. And up to this point, we've really utilized our um, 
demo reps, our ambassador program. So as those individuals are going into stores, taking pictures, giving us notes. So we, up to this point, we have not had investors or outside funding for ground up. So we've really taken kind of the more creative scrappy approach for a lot of the different uh, challenges that we experience with grocery. And yeah, and we've just really heard a lot of pros and cons in working with brokers and the amount they cost. Yeah. I mean, every little piece you give away is a little less for you and your team of people you're working with. So I don't know this for sure, but did you start at farmer's markets and are you still at farmer's markets or are you not in farmer's markets? Can you tell us a little bit about that? We did start at farmer's markets and we are still at farmer's markets. Oh, you are? Good. Yeah. We're honestly, you know, farmer's markets for us since day one, when we first started, we started March of 2016 and we're like, oh, great. We'll be in all the farmer's markets in (laughs) Portland three months later. Well, that is not true. The Portland farmer's market community, it's amazing um, how they select vendors and are really thoughtful about that. So we were not in many farmer's markets on in year one. But to clarify, you have to apply like, I think, what is it? September of the year before. So we were that deadline. (laughs) It's like a whole process, right? You have to fill out an application. They have to review your product. You don't want to be like your neighbor in the layout of the market, there's all sorts of things that go into it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but we're so thankful because farmers markets are where we got started. And that's really where we began to get customer feedback. We were able to be at the farmers market before we had a nutritional label, before we were as legit of a business as we are today. And we're incredibly grateful for that. And that's where we really built our base customer um, was at farmer's markets. And then the Portland night market was another really big event that helped us to get on the map and get on people's radar. So to us, it's really important that we continue to remain at farmer's markets and specifically to serve and connect with our local customers as we have seasonal flavors that aren't available at stores. So it's really important for us to continue to do outreach in Portland. And then as well, any of the states that we get our product into, we're always trying to find events and opportunities to connect with our customers in person. Yeah. And the great thing about that direct sale to the consumer is you really, as a um, food entrepreneur and a little, you know, processing group get to get a larger percentage of the margin that's in your product. And so that can really help you grow faster when you're able to make those direct sales. So I'm all in favor of farmer's markets. So just tell us a couple of the farmer's markets you're in in uh, the Portland area for our listeners if they want to stop by and see you. Yeah, so it's best to look, we'll link this, but on our events page, because we are at a farmer's market during the summer, almost every weekend, but it's not the same one. So we're at PSU every month. We're at Vancouver Farmer's Market every month. Um, we are doing Portland flea. I know it's not exactly a farmer's market, but we do that as well. Um, so yeah, it's best to check our events page and that kind of has like where we're at on any given weekend, any given weekend, Lake Oswego, that's another one for people on the West side. So, um, your recommendation would be definitely be involved with the farmer's markets. And I have another question for you. Do you, have you ever come up with like something that you could sell directly to somebody that they can eat when they're at the farmer's market? Have you ever done that? 
Yeah, we used to do that more. Um, we would make like bliss balls or other granola bars that we would have for sale. I actually think, and Julie would know for sure, but I don't think we're allowed to. Um, yeah, there's a lot of restrictions unless we had an approved item and started to get like the proper packaging for it to sell. Oh, okay. But we definitely used to do bites. We'd also do little like banana chips, kind of like little snack packs that people could get. But that has been more challenging with some of the restrictions at markets. So have you thought about extending beyond the nut butters or are you going to just stay on the nut butter train for now? I think we're we're definitely open to new products. It's something we've considered. At the same time, we still feel like there's a lot of like market to saturate with just nut butters. And there's something to be said for staying focused on one thing and doing it really well. So while we are, you know, open to and exploring some potential future products, it's not like we we can say like, oh, next year we're we have this thing launching. Um, really squeeze packs is any if anything, is where we're putting a lot of our energy because I feel like that's something that opens up a ton of new channels for us. And so we just launched like a new flavor in our squeeze pack. So they're now available in two. Um, and yeah, it's continuing to develop, to develop new nut butter flavors, doing more private label, more bulk. So there's more opportunities to continue to grow with that. But yeah, hopefully a new product at some point in the next few years. The thing that's really fun to think about is like a squeeze pack takes almost as much energy to make as a bulk bucket and you can make a lot more money on that bulk bucket, I think, with less labor. Yeah. And even though we want to make sure we have convenience items for our consumers, we really want them to buy it in bulk. <laughs> so all you nut butter eaters out there, just start buying buckets. Why don't you? <laughs> so um, do, do you two have any last words of wisdom or advice that you would like to share with your fellow food entrepreneurs that are listening? Maybe you can each take a stab at it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I can start. I think a word of advice for other fellow entrepreneurs, I think a big thing is remaining persistent. And I think there's a lot, as an entrepreneur, there are so many ups and downs. I feel like you ride the waves on a daily basis often or weekly basis. And I think a big piece is staying persistent. We, I think of one specific example, you know, we've gone in waves earlier on in the business of, you know, saying, okay, at the end of the year, we're going to decide like, is this working? Can we remain profitable? Questioning that and you know, we got an opportunity with Burgerville to be in their milkshake. And that was like, that's right. At a time when we were kind of on a low of like, okay, we really need something big to come through. And I think a big piece is be persistent and you got to put a lot of irons in the fire. You got to knock on a ton of doors and a majority of them are going to be no. And it's easy to be discouraged by that. It's easy to, it's so easy to compare and get in your head of like, wow, how is that company? And like, you know, hundreds of stores. How did they get like national with this store or whatnot? But everyone's journey is so different and everyone's mm-hmm. entrepreneurial path and choices of taking outside funding, not taking outside funding, which is more the path we've chosen. And so I really would encourage people to say true and authentic to themselves and their entrepreneurial journey and their values and mission and to stay persistent. If you believe in what you're creating and what you're doing, it's just about knocking on enough doors to find those right partners to work with your business. 
Wow, that's great advice. And what about you, Carolyn? Julie, still the second half of yours is exactly what I was going to say. Oh, you're on the say same it page. again and say it better. And no, then, no, 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 no. I, 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 I have my second piece. Oh, but go, yeah, go, I mean, <laughs> we didn't probably touch on this too much, but we we have made the choice to be completely bootstrapped, and so we haven't had any outside funding, which for a food business that's seven years old is pretty rare. And to still do manufacturing in house, I don't. There's very few companies I can think of that fit in that category, and so. Yeah, it's hard to compare ourselves to others. And I think all along, like, you know, taking the advice that you get and then ultimately like look in a mirror and say, does that actually fit for us? Because people are constantly telling us their opinion, whether we asked for it or right? not. That's um, true. But not, it's not one size fits all. It's like what works for you. And our goal has been to grow sustainably, slowly and profitably. And we've been able to do that year over year even though like sometimes if you look on paper, we don't have that like graph where it's like you're seeing the <laughs> revenue go off the charts, but that's also, we have to remind ourselves sometimes, okay, this is what we wanted. This is what our team needs. This works for our model. Um, yeah. So that's definitely something that I would encourage everyone to keep in mind. That's really good advice. And I completely understand the idea of wanting to not take other people's money. I think bootstrapping it is beautiful. And actually the Marshall's, uh, Marshall's hot sauce has done the same thing. They People, still manufacture yeah. too. So yeah. we're and it's very more good and more rare to find those examples. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're in good company. So ladies, it's time for us to call the end of the podcast. And I want to thank you very much for sharing your story with us today and the story of your company. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of people out there listening to your advice and enjoying our conversation today. We record Masonian Marshall every week, so you can tune in on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on our show, you can submit an idea to startupradio.com or contact us through Instagram. Until next week, bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.